You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. We are going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. If you're new and you haven't heard of the fruit, you probably have heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, maybe you have or haven't. It doesn't matter. That's what we're doing. It comes from Galatians chapter 5. So just to kind of get us back to that place, we're going to read the text from Galatians 5 verses 16 to 25 and see what Paul says. What is the fruit of the Spirit? And we're going to look at one particular attribute, one particular quality of the fruit of the Spirit today. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, we'll put it on the screen if you don't have it. By the way, if you want the notes to today's sermon, they are on the YouVersion Bible app. You can download that for free. On the Version Bible app, just click on events and you'll find us there. All right. So I say, Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So today we're finding ourselves right in the middle of this examination of the change. And that's really what we're talking about here is change. Okay. The kind of change that the spirit of God makes in the heart of a Christian. And really, it's a list he gives of nine attributes or results of the Spirit taking up residence in our hearts. So what is the result of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's love, joy, peace, patience. And today, we stop right in the middle, number five of nine. So you had four on one side, four on the other side. We're right in the middle, kindness. You know, God has a lot to say about kindness because God is kind. In fact, everything that you have, you owe to the kindness of God. So when the spirit of God lives in you, his kindness is going to show itself in your life because the fruit of the spirit is, say it with me, put it on the screen. Let's all say it together. The fruit of the spirit is kindness. Yes. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 15. Paul says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. What? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) He says, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. That is kindness. And who are we called to be kind to? There was two groups. Each other. That means like he's talking to Christians. So you should be kind to other Christians. Even the ones that you, they're not like you, you know, that, you know, maybe they were cheering for the Utah Jazz last night, you know, so be kind to them. That's okay. But what's the other group? Everyone else. And by the way, uh, just so I could understand what Paul means here, I, I'm not a Greek scholar or anything like that, but I looked up the word for everyone else. Okay. It's this, we'll put it on the screen. It's this word pos. Okay. It's this, it's a Greek word. And I did a little digging on this. You'll be blown away. This word literally means everyone else. So who are we to be kind to? Everyone. Everyone. It's the people in here and the people out there. Okay. Everybody. And this, by the way, is countercultural. Is it not? We're not repaying other people evil for evil. It's not tit for tat. But you want to know what the problem is? You put a lot more effort into looking nice than being nice. 
and you spend more time in front of a mirror to make sure your appearance is right than you do before God to make sure your attitude is right. But if you want to improve your appearance, I think that's important. I mean, I tried this morning, you know, I even ironed this shirt, you know, myself. But if you want to look really nice, be kind. It will improve your appearance a hundred percent. Okay. Something about unkind people, just not that attractive, you know, (laughs) you know one. Okay. So spend a little more time on your attitude than your appearance. Alexander McLaren, he was a 20th 20th century uh, Scottish minister. He said, kindness makes a person attractive. If you want to win the world and we do, right? Melt it. Don't hammer it. Boy, be kind. Maybe you've heard about dressing for success. You know, you want to, you want to dress the part. And, and it's all about like what we look like on the outside so we know we'll be successful. Well, God cares about dressing for success too. There's a spiritual dressing God talks about in Colossians chapter three. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and you are, by the way, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. You want to look like God? Be kind. Now, some of you in here have just a natural disposition towards kindness. You know, you're just a nice person. Honestly, I think of myself this way. You know, like, I'm just an extrovert, and if I bump into you, I'm probably going to be like, hey, what's up? You know what I mean? I just, you know, and you may be thinking, like, I don't need this message, you know? But there are many of us here who all really struggle with this area of kindness. But speaking of people with a disposition towards kindness, I have a daughter, Andy, who is, I don't know, it's just like, I don't want to use the word naturally kind, but it sounds like a gift of God, be kind. And she's with a family group of friends uh, at the lake this weekend, because it's Memorial Weekend, you know, so they do that thing. And uh, she called last night, and it kind of irritated me, because we were trying to watch the Grizzlies, you know, who lost, by the way, very frustrating. And if you're a jazz fan here, I still love you. I'm going to be kind to you. But I was trying to watch the game. She called. and she, I'm sitting right next to Allison, my wife. And she called me, which is odd. Normally she'd call her mama, you know. And I'm thinking like, this must have to do with money, you know. So she called. I was a little irritated. I answered the phone like, hey. And she was like, hey, dad. And uh, I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> you know. And she's like, well, I just, I knew you were preaching tomorrow. I just wanted to call and say good luck. You know, like I want you to do a good job. Like we were talking about you and thinking about you today. And I was, yeah, Allison was sitting next to me. She started crying. I was like, okay, oh, well, that was, I said, Andy, that was very kind that you did that. And, you know, if I, if I were to ask the people who know you best, what quality you're best known for? People in your neighborhood, your work, maybe your school. I wonder what they would say. And I'll tell you, I, what I want to be true is for them to say, that is the kindest person that I know. That neighbor of mine, literally the kindest woman. That's the kindest man I've ever met. They're just so kind. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, God wants you to have a reputation for being kind. God is really clear that he wants what he wants you to be known for. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. And you may be thinking like, well, I thought we were talking about kindness, not love. But there's a relationship between love and kindness. In fact, if you remember on the, the first piece or part of the fruit of the Spirit, we saw it's love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so when we were looking at love, we saw in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient and love is kind. It is kind. So kindness is simply love in action. We'll put this on the screen. Kindness in and of itself is not love, but love is always kind. I'll say it again. Kindness by itself is not the same thing as love, but love is always kind. Kindness involves doing. Like it's not just an emotion or a feeling. Like you can feel all sorts of ways towards someone, but if you don't act on it, you're not kind. And speaking of the relationship between love and kindness... There is a type of kindness that's divorced from love. In other words, you can be kind or nice without love. 
and it can be deadly to a church. It's toxic because this kind of kindness is used to hide our indifference towards others. So what does that look like? Well, it could be like a Sunday gathering, right? Okay, you're outside in the lobby. Maybe I was just doing this, you know. I, I even thought about it because I'm preaching on it, you know. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this, okay. But, you, you know, you're, you're, you're worried about you. You're, you know, it's just normal, okay. And there's someone comes in that you recognize. Or maybe you don't recognize them. They're new and you want them to feel good. And so there's this natural, like, smile that comes on. You're like, hey, how you doing? And that way they know that you care somewhat, right? And you're hoping to get back a, man, doing good. How about you? So that you can say, doing good. And then you can turn and walk away and you've done your thing. And now you can focus on what really matters. You, uh, your family, and the people you like. And this false kind of kindness can also show itself when we have a brother or sister who maybe is caught in sin. And so instead of confronting sin, maybe we just want to be nice because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them not to like me. And so I'm like, hey, you know, nobody's perfect. Hey, everybody makes mistakes. It's all, it's all all right. And so we'll often be nice to somebody close to us because I don't want them not to like me. And because of that, we avoid saying a hard thing. And so there can be this subtle difference between being nice and being truly kind. It's like a doctor who, you know, you go to a doctor, you know something's wrong. Something hadn't been right. Okay, you go get some tests done. The doctor does some blood work. A couple of days later, the doctor uh, sees the results of your blood work and there's something bad. It's going to devastate you to hear it. Now, the doctor has a choice to make. Okay, and he, he, he or she can say, I, this is going to hurt them. This is going to scare them. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be nice. You know? Hey, everything's fine. You know? Obviously, that's not good. Or the doctor can be kind. And, and maybe in a gentle way, but, you know, it's going to have to tell you the truth. So it can sting to know that we're like this, that I can be kind and not be loving. Because both of these things are often true with me. Okay? And it hurts me to, to know this is true. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to loving kindness that's produced by the Spirit. I'm the thing that gets in the way most often of that kind of kindness. I love myself a lot. Psychology Today, it's a magazine that I don't read. And I actually wouldn't suggest that you read it either because it's, it's uh, worldly and it's, I don't know, it's... It's a magazine that's trying to teach you ways, like psychology ways of like how to, how to manipulate people, how to snag that girl, how to get people to like you, how to manipulate others, how to have a good sex life, all this kind of stuff. It's on, you know, the shelves there when you go by uh, Walmart sometimes. But psychology today, if you go to their, their website and you click on the about me page, this is the very first line that describes what psychology today, the magazine is about. Let's put it on the screen. Psychology Today is devoted exclusively to everybody's favorite subject, ourselves. And this is true. Like, we care about ourselves a lot. And so before we get into today's, like the meat of today's teaching on kindness, I do want you to hear one thing. Please don't walk away from here thinking that the goal is to be kind. That, that that is really what God wants for me. I've, I've got to be kind. The goal is not simply to be kind. The goal is to be like Christ. And when that happens, there is a different level of kindness. It simply begins to grow within us. And it's this kindness that's rooted in the character of God. In fact, God cares so much about your kindness that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, he told a story about it. Possibly the most famous story Jesus ever told. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you familiar with the story? I want to give you a real quick uh, back. Thank you, brother. I'm glad you're familiar with it. All right, so a little bit of background about what's happening here before Jesus teaches this story, this lesson. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, Samaria was defeated by the Assyrians. And like many of the Jews in Samaria were deported. They were taken out. Okay. Now some were left behind. Okay. And after about 200 years of being left there, other Assyrians had come in and settled the land of Samaria. And guess what? They intermarried with the Jews. Okay. And 
they, they adopted in some way, some of the religious practices of the Jews in that area. And uh, so th- there was like some Judaism's uh, Assyrian mix, like a half-breed. And so a couple hundred years later, when the Jews are coming back to their, to their homeland and they resettle the area, there's like this new group of people that they see as religious traitors to God. They're half-breeds. In fact, the Samaritans even erected this new temple on Mount Gerizim. And that's all the Jews needed to like solidify their belief that these people are rebels against God. They're outcasts. In fact, the Jews avoided Samaria at all costs. So like if you were in southern Judea and you wanted to go to northern Israel, you would have to pass through Samaria or do you? No, I can take a boat and go out in the ocean out there and go around it. Or I can cross the Jordan River and go around this way. And that's what they'd do. They avoided Samaritans at all costs. There was animosity there on both sides. Bigotry, racism, hatred. And in this story, Jesus is going to do something. It's so Jesus, okay? Can I say, I don't mean this in a, I don't mean this in a good way. Jesus is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like he confronts stuff. Nobody else is willing to confront. Okay, so Jesus is going to be talking to Jews, particularly some Jewish leaders. Okay, and what he's going to do is he's going to make their enemy the hero of the story he tells. You know what I'm saying? He's uh, he's crazy. You know, I mean, awesome. It's so Jesus. Let's let's look and see what happens. Okay, Luke chapter ten, verse twenty five. On one occasion, an expert in the law. So this is a Jew, Jewish teacher. He stood up to test Jesus. That's a common thing. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. Well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Ding, 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 ding. You know, Jesus is like, that. that's right. Do this and you will live. But that wasn't enough, was it? He wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus whips out a story. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. You may want to underline that. We're going to come back to that later. It's important. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, which is probably what this man he's talking to is, like one of your people. A Levite came to the place, goes over and looks at him, passes by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he, uh, we put the man then on his donkey, on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, uh, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied. The one who had mercy on him. Well the message paraphrase translates that. The one who treated him kindly. Whereas the New American Standard Bible says. The one who showed compassion on him. And then Jesus says go and do likewise. Before we jump into this, like what this, what this means, can we pray one more time and just ask for God's help? Because God, that's true. We need you. Like these things are so not just countercultural, but they're counter to our nature. And so we need you, Holy Spirit, to show us things that we can't just naturally see. And I pray you to awaken us to the truths of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is a master teacher, okay? Every time he teaches like this, he tells a story. He is dropping truth bombs everywhere. He is, he's teaching about so many things at one time. So, for example, in this story, Jesus is teaching about the character of God. Like, what's God like? He's also teaching about the prejudice and nature of man. He's teaching about the power and mercy 
of mercy and kindness. He's teaching about the attitudes that so often creep into our hearts. So, for example, the Jewish leader asks, well, who is my neighbor? Well, what's going on here? Well, this guy, he doesn't want to have to love everybody. He doesn't want to have to be kind to everybody. What did he say? He's seeking to justify himself. In other words, he wants to justify the way he's living because he's not living by being kind or loving everybody. Look at how Jesus teaches about the attitudes of our hearts and of this man's heart. Each of these three travelers that Jesus talks about, you have the priest, the Levite, sounds like a joke, doesn't it? The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan walk into a bar, you know? <laughs> so Jesus, <laughs> that is so a uh, priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk, walk down the road. Anyway, um, each one of them represents one of three attitudes that we can have. And before we look at these three, don't fall into the, the mistake of thinking that like, oh, well, I'm the second guy or I'm the third guy. You know, I'm, I'm the hero of the story. That's, that's me. You know, like, no, any of these three attitudes can appear in you, in your heart, all within the same day. Okay. So like you can go from being the first one to the second one, to the third one within a 24 hour period. Okay. So this is not like you're number one or you're number three. So let's look at the three. The first attitude Jesus points us to is this first guy, the attitude of avoidance. It's in verse 31a, first part of the verse. A priest happened to be going down the same road. He sees the man and passes by on the other side. This is the attitude that says, I'm going to keep my distance. Like if I don't pay attention, it's not my responsibility. You know, out of sight, out of mind. So like instead of helping the guy, he just like, uh, you know, steps over on the other side. He's walking down the road. It's a windy road. It goes way down a you know pretty big mountain. And, and like he sees this guy and like, ooh, unclean. Like, I, and it's, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. And so he just walks on the other side. And so this is the attitude that says, you know, I don't want to get too close to people. Because if I get too close to people, I'm going to have to help them when they're in pain. And so you keep all your relationships shallow. And the modern world really feeds this. It helps us keep our relationships shallow. In fact, you can live in a neighborhood. This is true of me, okay? So I'm not just preaching at you. This is to me. You can live in a neighborhood where you literally don't even know the names of your neighbors. Like the people on each side of your house. I do know mine's names, but it took a while, you know? And how does the, how does the culture feed this? Well, like you've got automatic garage doors. You know, I can be in my house worrying about me. I got somewhere to go. Okay. What do I do? I can go get my, I can't actually do this because my garage is full of junk, but, but what I could do if it was cleaned out, I could go get in my car, which is in my garage while the door is closed. I can hop in the car. So now I'm in another enclosure before I even open the garage door. I can back out. My friends could be playing out in the yard. I don't even have to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty cool, huh? And then we can like drive off and then when we get done doing our thing, we can come back home and before we get to the house, you don't have to do it. You push the button. The door opens up. You drive your car up in there. You can wave, you know, or whatever. And you pull in, close the garage door. Voila. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to talk to anybody. That's so cool. And in doing so, I miss the hurt, the pain that's all around me. We don't realize like how many people around us are hurting because we never see them. We can walk on the other side of the road in ways like that. That's how we do it. We can walk on other sides of the road by not venturing to parts of town where we're uncomfortable. You know, like maybe you come to the crossing every week and you know, you've got your set way that you do it. Maybe it's just because it's the fastest or the most efficient. But maybe it'd be cool if uh, you went a different way. And maybe you just saw some things that you don't normally see. Some things that maybe even make you uncomfortable. So the first attitude is I could just avoid the problem. You know, it's like when I'm watching TV and I see those really sad commercials trying to get me to give money to help starving children. And it hurts my heart. And so what do I do? I change the channel, you know. So I can have the attitude of avoidance. The second one that we see is the attitude of apathy. 
It's the second guy. He's a little bit more interested, this Levite is. But he has this attitude of being curious, but uncaring. And this guy's a little bit more interested, but not interested enough to actually help. If you read this in the King James or, or most other translations, you'll see it kind of indicates that this guy in some way stops or at least goes over and looks at the guy who's been left for dead. And then he goes on his way. He's a religious guy. He's on his way and he sees this guy hurt. And here's the difference between the priest and the Levite. The priest is like, Ugh, you know, and like avoids Th- this guy. The Levite's like, whoa, I think I'll take a look at that. Like, wow, man, man, man. Well, and then goes on his way. Doesn't help. In a way, this guy's better because he at least has some concern about what's happened. But I think in a way he's a lot worse because he has up close become familiar with the pain and the problem and is still unmoved. And he walks away. Both these guys, by the way, are religious. You got a priest and a Levite. Levite, by the way, not a blue jean salesman. This is a guy who is, uh, who's a, a, a temple attendant. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Being religious doesn't make you kind. Being like Christ makes you kind. In fact, I used to wait tables. If there are any waiters or waitresses out there, people who work in public service, you might know this is true, but some of the most religious people can be some of the most unkind people you've ever met. In fact, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I didn't even want to come today, but I'm coming because someone invited me or because someone's dragging me here, but I don't want to be there because I had an experience in the church before. And they weren't very kind to me. And if Jesus is like this, I didn't see those people like that at all. So, and I would just encourage you, if that's you, like, number one, please don't judge Christ on people, everyone who waves the banner, okay? We're not Christ. Uh, and then secondly, I just remind you that, hey, we are all broken people, and, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit in the end, but, but even those of us who really are following Jesus, we still have a tendency to be more concerned about ourselves than about you, okay? And that's just because we're all broken people, and we're, we're all trying to follow one perfect person, and that's Jesus, So I would just say that to you and don't be kind just to your own kind. You know what I'm saying? The people who are like you, who look like you, who like the same things you like. You know, we can often have the attitude of apathy like this Levite. We're like, we're really curious, but not caring. We can get really interested in the gossip on Facebook. We'll read something juicy because it makes for good conversation later. Like, maybe we'll, we'll work really hard to figure out what happened. I want to get all the details about that missing girl or that family that got broken into or the drunk driving accident. I want to get all the details about that. <laughs> Not so I can do anything or I can actually help in some way, but it's so that I can have something to talk about and someone else will find me interesting. We're very quick to stare. But we're very slow to stop. Curiosity cares, stares, sorry, curiosity stares, kindness stops. There's just something sick in us that loves to read about or or watch about the pain of other people. It's why gossip magazines and TV shows are, are very popular. Why should you care about the divorce of somebody famous? Why should you care about the scandal of somebody famous. Why do you read these magazines about the problems that other people have? Well, I mean, there's lots of reasons why. We like to read about other people's problems. We like to talk about other people's problems. We like to gossip about other people's problems. We just don't like to help other people with their problems. And this is going to be very cliche, but what we need is a little more TLC and a little less TMZ. Exodus 23, 5 says, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you and it's fallen under its own load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. So if you're walking along and you see a donkey and it belongs to somebody who hates you, be good to that donkey. It's fallen under its load. I want you to help that donkey be humane 
and kind to that donkey. Let me ask you this. If God wants you and he cares that you are humane and kind to animals, don't you think he wants you to be humane and kind to people? As a disciple of Jesus, I'm not allowed to be unkind or to hate anybody. God insists that I be kind to everybody, even those who hate me. And believe it or not, there may be somebody out there that doesn't like me. Hard to believe. It could be true. You know, you might be in this room. (laughs) Jesus said in Luke 6, though, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you're good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend money to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? I mean, sinners lend money to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. That's not kind. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. Why? Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Do you get that? God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You know who that is? You. Now, we don't naturally want to do that. I don't want to be kind to people who don't say thank you. You know, I'll literally, I'll catch myself doing this. I'll hold a door open for somebody. They'll walk in and they won't say a word to me. I'll be like, you're welcome. You ever done that? Mm -hmm. See if I ever do that again. I hope it hits you next time. You know? Um, I'll let someone out in busy traffic. Oh, I'm going to fill with the spirit of God, fill with the spirit. Come on out sister, you know, and she just comes out, not a wave. I hope you get pulled over. You know what I'm saying? I did it once, but she didn't send me a thank you note. See if I ever do that again. And being kind to my enemy that, that is so countercultural. Joseph Hall was a 17th century uh, uh, theologian. He says, a good man is kinder to his enemy than bad men to their friends. But we just don't naturally want to do that. But what if God was like that? He's not. He's kind to his enemies. He's kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. God's kind. And when his spirit gets a hold of my heart, it produces fruit. It's going to do it. And the fruit of the spirit is what? Kindness. So I could be like the third person, the Samaritan, and I can show kindness. Now, before we get into these four things here, I'm going to show you four things. You could say like these are four ways to be more kind. But I really want to be careful and let's not walk away from here saying like, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this and this. God wants to be more kind. Okay, I'm going to be more kind. You know, really I want us to hear that I want to cultivate in my heart, fertile soil for the fruit of kindness, the spirit of God to to flourish in my life. Okay. And so we're going to look at four ways that the spirit produces the fruit of kindness. Okay. Number one, the spirit causes me to see other people. The spirit causes me to see people I wouldn't otherwise see. This is what happens when I have the spirit of God in me. You cannot care Until you're first aware. Kindness starts with your eyes. Like you can't meet a need until you see the need. And wounded people, they are all around you. There are wounded people sitting with you on your row. They're in your office. They are in your family. They're in your class. They're on the the road with you. Everybody has a secret wound. Everyone's carrying wounds. How do we know this? Well, you can't get through this life without pain, without wounds. And there's two reasons why we usually don't see other people's wounds. One is because they're hiding them. And two, we're in a hurry. And hurry is the death of kindness. It's like when I go to Walmart and I'm in a hurry. I love talking about Walmart, don't I? I'm there every day, (laughs) every day. But I'm at Walmart all the time. Sometimes I'm in a hurry. Now that they close at 11 p.m. and they don't stay open 24 hours and I usually go late at night, sometimes I go to Walmart in a hurry. Well, when I go to Walmart and I'm in a hurry, I'm a different person than when I go and I'm not in a hurry. When I'm in a hurry, um, 
I'm, I'm going to get in the parking lot and be a little more strategic about how I maneuver around in there. Okay. Because I may see somebody that sees the same spot that I see. Now, Hey, look, before you judge me too hard, I'm not the kind of person who's going to like, you know, when I see someone loading their car in the second spot up here, I'm not going to stop in the line and wait for them. If you do that, stop it, stop it. You're not, you're hurting yourself because people like me are judging you really hard. Okay. So, uh, cause that, if, if, in fact, if you do that and I'm the one loading my car, I'm going to take more time. I'm going to push my cart back to the store and all that while you're back here waiting. Don't do that. All right. But anyway, I don't know if it's a sin, but it should be. So anyway, uh, I will instead like maneuver my, I'll see the car from a distance. I can tell this person's getting in and, oh my gosh, there's someone coming, you know, they they see it too, you know, so I, I'm, I'm getting up and getting in there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm breezing by people. In fact, I might see some of you there and I know you and I'm like, oh, there's John. Oh gosh, I've got to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to, I don't want you to see me because I'm in a hurry, you know, or I like when it's time to check out, you know, and I, I can tell there's someone else that's coming up too. And they're about to get that self checkout line before I do. No, you're not. You know, I'm going to get in there first. Okay. And I'll, I'll get in line and, and it's inevitable. The line that I get in will be the slowest line. There's going to be something wrong. There's always an idiot in front of me who doesn't know how to work the scanner or doesn't know how to use their credit card or whatever it is. And here I am like, what is, what is wrong? You know, but when I'm not in a hurry, this is, this is really true. And it's not to brag on myself. I'm just saying this is the way it is. When I'm not in a hurry, I will leave that third spot from the front open and I'll park further back. And it's literally because I want someone else to have it. I'll walk in the door and I'm smiling. I may stop and talk to the greeter for a second. How long have you been working here? Boy, you're doing a really good job. And I'll say something like that. I'll walk on in. I'll see somebody. If I see one of you and I know you, you'll know if I've got time on my hands because I'm going to come talk to you. I'm going to be interested in what you have to say. I, I'm going to go to the line that has a little more people in it. Not just want for one, I want someone else to have the empty line and I might want to talk to somebody. I'm going to bless somebody. You know what I mean? I'm just going to be more kind. But when I'm in a hurry, it's the enemy of kindness. The slower I go, the more I see. The slower I go, the more I see. Because I can't be bothered if I'm busy. And if I'm going to be more kind, I've got to figure out how to be less busy. First Corinthians 10.24 says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Literally, he's saying, look out for the good of others. So he causes me, the spirit of God does this in me, causes me to see other people. Secondly, the spirit produces sympathy in me. So when I see others, that's observation. But when I have sympathy, it has to do with my emotions. Luke 10, 33, which we were just reading there. You see that his heart was filled with compassion. How many of you at the uh, beginning of the sermon today, when you heard me mentioned my daughter, Andy, and I got a little choked up. Did anybody else out there get a little choked up when that happened? Oh, brother, you did. Oh, thanks. It really makes me feel loved. But this is a gift God gives us. Uh, and, and it's like been pre- empirically proven to be true that there are mirror neurons in our brain that allow us to feel other people's feelings. We can feel their joy. We can feel their pain. And so... It's why we well up with tears when we see someone else cry. Now, how do we be more sympathetic? How, how can I be more in tune with what other people are feeling or experiencing? Well, we can start by listening better. Sympathy is a matter of your ear. Like you see things with your eyes, you sympathize with your ears. In fact, your ears have some of the greatest healing tools that God has ever given. Some people do not... Look, some people don't need your advice. They don't need you to say anything. They just need you to listen. Job, uh, very famous. Job is famous in the Bible for suffering. Uh, he had it really bad. You may be familiar with the story. If you're not, I encourage you to go read it. It's right in the center of your Bible. Just open up the middle. You'll find it looks like the word job. Okay, but it's Job. He was a man who uh, lost everything. He lost his possessions, his wealth. He was very uh, wealthy. He lost his health. I mean, he had this, some kind of disease, all kinds of skin boils. It was nasty. And lost his children. He had 10 kids. Lost 
all of them, even his own wife turns against him. And at some points in the, in the book, he says out loud, you know, I just, I would be better off dead. And Job has a couple of friends, three actually, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they hear about Job's suffering and they're moved and they want to come and comfort him. And I want to read to you from Job 2, 12 and 13. Here they come. They saw him from a distance and they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You know, it was probably the best thing they did for Job because it wasn't until they opened their mouths that they lost their usefulness. His friend Eliphaz is the first one to talk. Job had openly said a complaint after seven days. Job opens his mouth and says, you know, like, oh, I'd rather be dead. And Eliphaz responds thinking he's doing Job a real big favor. And he basically says, Job, God's disciplining you for something. You need to search yourself and see how you've sinned against God. But hey, he's going to restore you. I, I know it. Everything's going to be all right in the end. You'll see. And there were some true statements in Eliphaz's response. Some truth. But sometimes loving kindness requires keeping words tucked away. In fact, sometimes you can say something, even something that is true, that only makes pain worse. And Job responds to his friend by basically saying, my friends have betrayed me. So what can we do? Well, we can practice first date listening. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you about uh, you guys here in the room. Because typically, now this is a generalizations and generalizations are generally wrong. But guys typically are not the best listeners, okay? And I'm saying that because it makes me feel better about myself because I'm not always really good. And so, guys, if you remember, though, on the first date, how you listened? You remember how it was? You leaned in, elbows up on the table. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Really? Oh, that's terrible. How'd that make you feel? Oh, wow. You're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're amazing. That, that story was really funny. You know what I'm saying? You're really tuned in. Today, you know, I've been married 20 years. And uh, today, uh, my, my wife will be talking to me. And, uh, you know, I'm like, uh-huh. You know, I'm like, like that. And she's like, do you know what I just said? Huh? <laughs> do you know what I just said? Yes. Yes. What did I just say? You said you were, uh, you know, about those uh, kids. And she's like, forget it. So then I'll say, babe, I'm, so, I'm really sorry. Will you just repeat, just repeat what, what did you say? I, I, I do, I really do care. Because I'm thinking now, like, I do care about her and I've just hurt her. And now I'm, 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 I'm really sorry. Will you repeat what you just said? No. No. It's too late. <laughs> it's true. So practice first date listening. Not 23 years of listening. Joseph Blaley, he was a, a man who lost three kids, three of his own kids, buried three children. He wrote a book on grief called A View from the Hearse. And in it, I want to read an excerpt from that book. He says, I was sitting, torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish He'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He just sat beside me for an hour and more. He listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Um, a, a difficult struggle that I have is often seeing people who are struggling, whether it's with a sin or a habit or a, a vice or maybe they're yelling at their kid in Walmart or whatever. And I'll look at them and in my heart say, like, what is wrong with them? You ever done that? What, what is wrong with people? Like, why can't they get it? But instead of asking what's wrong with them, maybe we start asking what happened to them? What happened to them? 
Because there's a reason that they're the way they are. There's, there's, there's most likely a, a story behind that. And when you understand what happened, you tend to extend more grace. Because hurt people hurt people. So the Spirit does that in us. He produces sympathy in me. Thirdly, the Spirit gives me courage to seize opportunities. Because it can be scary. But it's this principle of spontaneity. Like kindness is not something you just wait to feel in order to do. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. Uh, verse 34. We see that this guy, this Samaritan, he takes initiative. Like he doesn't wait for a neighbor to come. He doesn't wait around to see what's going to happen. He uses what he has. He springs into action. And what does he have? Well, it says he used some oil and wine. Why didn't he use like some medicine? You know, some kind of salve or something that they might have had. Well, he probably didn't come prepared for that. But what did he come prepared for? Well, to have lunch on his way to Jerusalem. And so he opens up his lunch sack. And in there he's got a little wine. And he's got some oil, like salad dressing. You know what I'm saying? And oil is soothing. And wine's an antiseptic. And he uses what he has. What else does he have? Well, he doesn't have like gauze and bandages, but somehow he bandages this guy's wounds. What did he use? I would assume he used his shirt or some clothing that he had and tears it and makes a tourniquet or whatever he did. And so what do we do? Like, well, we use what we have. We do what we can. So if I'm going to seize these kind of opportunities, number one, I'm going to have to seize the opportunity, if I'm going to seize the opportunity to help, I have to be willing to be interrupted. Like, I can't make excuses. Like, I've got to be willing to stop. Galatians 6.10 says that as we have opportunity, we should do good to all people, especially those two who belong to the family of believers. So as we have, look at that word, opportunity. Remember when we saw earlier on, when we were actually reading through the story, it so happened that this priest came by? Sometimes what seems to be happenstance or uh, coincidence is really a divine appointment. An opportunity God's given you to be spontaneously kind. But also, if I'm going to be courageous like this, I'm going to have to move against my fears. There are fears. Like maybe, maybe the robbers were still in the area. Like maybe it's a trap and this guy's like faking it and he's gonna like tear me up. Or what if he rejects my help? What if other people nearby, they see me over there helping him, but they mistake me for the person who hurt him? What if he asked me to do something I don't know how to do? I don't know what to say to this guy. By the way, if you don't know what to say, and that's something that scares you, like, you know, this person's grieving, and I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Well, remember this, maybe write it down. The deeper the pain, the fewer the words. The deeper the pain, the fewer the words you use. So shut up, show up and shut up. Yeah, show up and shut up. And speaking of fear, being afraid, a lot of the times we don't get involved in the pain of other people because we're afraid it's going to bring up fears or emotions in us. It makes us think about our own brokenness or what happened to me. So like if I go and get close to this person who's hurting, I'm going to have to deal with all the stuff that is hurting me. And so if I can ignore your pain, I don't have to face mine. And if that's true for you, just as a friend, I would, I would implore you to, to seek some counsel, get some help. You know, see a pastor, see a therapist. Dig in. I mean, like, don't carry these things around. I, I ran into a, a, an old friend uh, the other day at the store who was telling me about the past year and some deep wounds and pain that he'd experienced over the last year. And I and I asked him at one point. I said, uh, like, "How are you? How are you dealing with with these things?" He's like, "Wow, well, you know, I just I'm just ready to get through it. You know, I'm just ready to kind of get on the other side of it." And I just stopped him and said, "You know, man." It's like pushing a water or pushing a, a, a beach ball underwater. Like you're not going to get past it. Like at some point and sometime it's going to, it's going to come out sideways. 
Like I would really encourage you to, to get some help, get with, get in the family of God so that you can experience, like get in community so you can experience the life, the love, the kindness of God in a tangible way from the children of God. See a therapist, you know, get some help because, and I would implore you to do that if that's you, because this wound that you're carrying around could be keeping you from being kind. So the spirit will help us with that. And finally, number four, the spirit gives me the resources to spend. There's always going to be a cost to kindness. It's this principle of sacrifice. It could be the sacrifice of time or money or energy or attention or reputation. Like it could cost some some reputation points. But Jesus, though, he didn't care about that. Jesus was never concerned about his reputation. He was never worried about guilt by association. He hung out with losers, wounded people, hurt people. And that's what the Samaritan did. And what did he gain from it? What did he get? Nothing. Except that God saw him. And he grew in His heart grew in kindness. In fact, this idea of God seeing him, know this, that when you're kind, God sees you. And if it weren't in the Bible, I would think this is not true. I would not say these words. But when you're kind, it's actually like giving a loan to God, like God being in your debt. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they've done. Could you imagine giving a loan to God? Let me tell you this. God will never be in your debt. And so when you're kind to others, know this, that God will reward you. Not that we are kind so that God will do something for me, but just know that God sees you. Even if they are not grateful. Even if they don't send you the card. Even if they don't give you the wave. God sees you and he will reward you. I probably ruin a lot of my rewards when I'm wishing they got the ticket. Um, God says, I will not be in your debt. And I want to give you a couple quick things. We're, we're going to close on this because you may be hearing all this and being like, good golly, like I've got a long way to go. You know, I, I'm, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I feel like, and I'm just not I don't, seeing this kind of change or I struggle so much with this. Well, I want to give you a couple of words that might be encouraging. Number one, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about real spiritual change. Okay. So the first thing about this kind of change is that it's gradual. Okay. Holy Spirit change is gradual. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the traits of the spirit or the attributes of the spirit, because it's not like, Hey, spirit comes in. Boom. Here's all the traits. You got them. No, it's like watching fruit grow. You ever watch fruit grow? Yeah. How do you notice it? How you come back every so often and you're like, whoa, got a little more red. I've got a little bigger. You know, it's like, uh, you got a 16 year old boy that, uh, uh, probably runs a 40 yard dash faster than he did a year ago. But if you were asked that 16 year old, do you feel faster than you were yesterday? No. If you were to ask him tomorrow, you feel faster than you did yesterday? No. But Somehow, after some time, and when tested, you can see those moments, the, the, the progress. You can see that change. So it is gradual. It is seasonal. It is slow. It's not efficient. Okay? So like uh, Logan's saying before our service today, be kind to yourself. Okay? And just know that like this is not overnight change that we're looking for here. God's not sitting there like, oh, boy. I think Adam mentioned this maybe last week. Like, when's he going to figure this out? God's not doing that. But not only is it gradual, it's also inevitable. It will happen. This kind of change will take place in the life of everyone who has the spirit of God. There's a building over here on Main Street. The ugliest building you've ever seen. I wouldn't really call it a building because it didn't even have a roof on it. Okay, it fell in. But it was built over 100 years ago. In fact, uh, I think it's about 120 some odd years old. And I have a picture of it from the 1950s when, you know, about 60 years ago, seven, well, whatever that was, 70 years ago. All right, see this one in the center here. So on the left-hand side, that's white office supplies now, okay, the, the, the white building there. The dark building here 
It says Williams Pool is now Percy's Pool Hall. Well, that building right in the middle, okay? Percy's Pool Hall, which is Williams Pool there, and that building to the left of it, the gray one, are the two oldest remaining uh, storefronts in the city of Paragould. Okay, so, and I actually have another picture from like 1916 or something like that of people standing out. They had a big parade, whatever, in front of them. <clears throat> well, if you go over there and look at them today, Percy's still uh, standing, looks pretty much fine. But uh, this orange one is, looks awful, okay? In fact, what happened is, oh, yeah, thank you. There, there's this, uh, okay, you see this right here? You may be like, well, what am I looking at here? What is this? Well, a couple of years ago, a seed of a weed found its way down into the crack below the, the foundation of the front of this building. And if you drive by the front of it right now, you'll notice a bulge up on the right-hand side, and it's like bulged up the front of this building. And if you go on the back side, this picture is taken from the inside of the building, looking down there. You see that root down there and where it's been sawed off? There was this huge, it looked like a tree, but it was a weed, okay? And look what this weed did. If you go home and pick a weed out of the garden and you just like, you know, you could break it, snap it, whatever. No power in that thing. But this weed, given enough time, look what it did. It cracked the foundation of this building. It broke right through. I cannot do that. I could not bust through concrete like that. Neither can you. I bet Darius couldn't do that. Could you, brother? But this weed did it. And let me ask you, let me tell you this. If botanical growth has that kind of power, imagine how much power the growth the Spirit can produce in your life is. Can you imagine? The Spirit of God will do this work in you. It is inevitable. So don't walk away from here thinking like, oh, golly, I've got, I've got to be kind. I've got to be patient. I've got to be loving. You know, and like, I've got to do this, 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 and this. Because the truth is, like, you're never going to be saved by fruit. You're never going to be saved by doing good, by being nice. However, you're never saved by fruitless faith. And so faith in Jesus, where the Spirit of God is in you, will always produce the fruit of the Spirit. And it'll grow. It's going to be gradual and all that. Now, I want to say one final thing because this entire message has really been directed at the people of God. The people who are who have the Spirit, who are following Jesus. But I want to talk to one more group of people that may be here today and and they're not yet, maybe you're not yet following Jesus. Maybe you've not really hitched your wagon to that horse. Okay. Or maybe, uh, you're listening to it and you're like, you know, I've been in church for a long time, but you know, if I'm being honest, I don't think I've, I've never really given my life to Jesus. I don't think I have the spirit of God in me. And if that's you, I want you to hear one, one thing. And that is that God sees you. He knows your, your name. He sees what you've done, and he has been so patient with you. Your whole life, while you've been running from God, going your own way, building your own kingdom, doing your own thing, wanting nothing to do with him, he's been patient. He didn't strike you down. In fact, he's brought you to this place where you're hearing his word. And I want you to know this patience of God is kindness towards you. God is kind towards you. And in Romans chapter 2, we read that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. That's why God is being kind with you. It's to lead you to repentance. What that word repentance means is literally a change of direction. So your life, you've been heading this way. Here I go. I'm doing my thing. I don't care about God. I'm building my kingdom. I'm doing my thing. I'm pursuing my dreams. Okay? Repentance is when I wake up to that. I see my sin. I'm turned, I, I, I turn around. It literally means to turn around. Okay? And so I'm going to turn away from my sin, my, my kingdom building and all that, living my life for myself. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to turn toward God. The one that I was running from. Running from God. Turning towards God. Repentance and God's kindness is bringing you here was meant to lead you to that place where you would turn away from your sin and you would turn to God and you wouldn't find this like dad sitting up there tapping his toe, wagging his finger at you. But you'd find this dad that we read about who has his arms open, who runs towards you. That's what you'll find. And here in a moment, like we're going to take communion and communion has everything to do with this. Okay. Speaking of the kindness of God, Titus chapter three, verse four says that when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, 
Well, the kindness of God appeared. He's talking about a person. That person is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment, the, the full ultimate expression of the kindness of God for you, towards you. And when the, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, what did he do? He saved us, not, not because you were good, but because of his mercy. Not because of your character, because of his character. In fact, it's in spite of your character. So please, don't hear this today and be like, boy, I've got to get it right so God will like me, so God will accept me. No, listen, God's running after those who ain't got it right. That's you. And all you have to do is just stop. Stop stop running and turn to him in faith. He'll receive you right where you are. You don't have to clean a single thing up. He'll receive you right where you are. Now, he loves you too much to leave you there. And he's going to put his spirit in you. And you'll see these things over time begin to take shape in your life too. So, as we take communion, which we're about to do here, if you want to grab that cup there in your seat. If you're a follower of Jesus, okay, this is for you. Because this is a reminder of this is where this kind of change comes from. It comes from the presence of God in my life. So I'm going to take these elements, which represent the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. I'm going to take them into my body to remind me that I need Christ in me in order to see this kind of real change in my life. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, drinking this juice, eating this bread, this isn't going to change you. It's not going to help you. So don't, don't even do it. Like we'd literally ask you not to take communion, but instead to receive Jesus. This is your opportunity. Do it now while you can. If, if you'd like to talk more about that, like I'm here, Adam's here, someone you came with who's following Jesus, man, grab one of us and say like, dude, I, I don't, I don't know what it looks like, but I want to follow Christ. I want this kind of change in me. And we'll talk you through that. Let's pray together. Our father, you're so good to us. We're about to take communion together, this meal together. We're, we're family. All of us who are, who are following Jesus here together, we're family. Thank you for that gift. And thank you for this tangible reminder that, Holy Spirit, we need more of you in us. We want to be more like Christ. And so we want to see like his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness and love and joy like coming, spilling out of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.